0: This is the You Can Learn Chinese Podcast, part of the Seneca Network from SubChina. For everyone who's trying to learn Chinese or reaching for the next level, you came to the right place. I am your host, Jared Turner, longtime resident of China, co-founder of the Manor Companion-Graded Reader Series, and someone stole my thesaurus, which is very, 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 uh, very bad. My co-host is John Passan, co-founder of Manor Companion, founder of Allset Learning, the Chinese grammar wiki, Sinosplice.com, and for the record, I told him it was a big mistake taking his dog named Shark to the beach. You've got the basics down. Sounds like you're ready to type Chinese. John and I talk about how Chinese input methods work and, for the more advanced learners, teach you tips and tricks to make Chinese input less painful and time-consuming. Interviews with Susie Williams, who learned Chinese fully immersed in Taiwan while serving as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All this and more, let's get to it. Hey guys, this is Jared Turner coming at you from Utah in the United States.
1: Hey everybody, my name is John Pasden. I am in Shanghai, China. How's it
0: going? All right, John, before we kick into our episode today, we do have a few reviews. I'm going to go ahead and lead out. Our first review comes from Scott Lee. Now, Scott wrote a very long email, and I'm going to paraphrase some of those things. He says, I knew when I saw the title How Chinese Food Can Help Your Chinese that this one was going to be resonating with me more than most of your episodes. I'm addicted to Chinese food. I miss China food so much after living there for more than a decade that I cook Chinese several times a week. I had a lot in common with this episode. Scott shares some cool stories about having an IE from Sichuan that he learned how to make a lot of dishes from. He talks about going to some restaurants in the States and finding some real authentic cuisine is a lot of fun. So, hey, Scott, really appreciate you reaching out and sharing your story with us.
1: Nice. Yeah, that was a special episode. It, I don't think that's something you're going to do with every language, but with Chinese, you gotta. Okay, so I've got another <laughs> uh, another review from Alex. Uh, he says, I'm writing to say thank you for My Teacher is a Martian, the first Mandarin Companion book I've bumped into. I've already bought my next book from the beginner and intermediate level. Is there a place where I could find confirmation of the Easter eggs and the illustrations? I'm really curious. Yes yeah. So I don't think we do have that, do we? I, I can't even tell you off the top of my head what they all are. I mean, they're in there, but I should tell you, Alex, that if that's your first book, then then you're not going to get any of the Easter eggs because they, <laughs> they, they're references, they're visual references to our other books.
0: That's right. And John, there, honestly, there's a couple of Easter eggs I'm not aware of because, you know, you mainly... Yeah, you're not, even, eggs. you're not even
1: trying. No one appreciates my Easter eggs. <laughs>
0: there are so many
1: undiscovered <laughs> Easter eggs just, just waiting to be discovered.
0: All right. Our next review comes from Thomas B. And Thomas says, a few weeks ago, I sent you guys an email recommending you adapt versions of Chinese works. I was so wrong. Since then, one, I've realized that there are other graded readers series trying to do the Chinese culture already. Two, I heard a lot of other learners I know complain about how learning materials always assumes they only ever want to read about Chinese literature. And three, I read more of your adaptations and original stories and realize just how great they really are. I even bought some other graded readers thinking I'd like to sprinkle in some more Chinese culture in my graded reading. But I keep reading a page and immediately putting it down and deciding just to read another one of your books instead. That says a lot. So I guess... Don't listen to people like me. Keep doing what you're doing. It's so great. And P.S. love the podcast. Hey, appreciate that, Thomas. Thanks so much for sending out an email. And, you know, that's, uh, we did discuss this in one of our episodes, didn't we, John, about why we do like Western stories. Yeah, Uh, there are. Chinese stories are great too.
1: We don't hate Chinese traditional stories, but um, yeah, it's just not the best fit for our product uh, so far. Okay, everybody, so today we have a lesson, especially for beginners, uh, people who have mastered their pinyin and are ready to start inputting it into a computer. But we've also got some tips that are pretty good for intermediate and maybe even higher uh, learners. So if your Chinese learning has been confined largely to books and paper, and you haven't been inputting Chinese on a computer, then this is for you. Um, Or if your Chinese learning has been confined to just, you know, digital screens, and you're not actually interacting with the device. This is for you. So Chinese for a long time was very hard to input into a computer, especially in the early days of computers. I don't know how many of you listeners know, like MS DOS and you know all these text-based computer you know systems. You couldn't really use Chinese. Um, But eventually, you know, Windows came along, got more you know fancy, and we started getting Chinese input methods and different kinds of Chinese input methods.
0: You, John, I if you want to go even further back, think about those early Chinese typewriters. Yes, they existed. (laughs) It was like it was another skill, and in of, in of itself, just to learn how to, you know, use a typewriter in Chinese.
1: But really, the Chinese language kind of had to wait for technology to uh, to catch up to like make it much more convenient and you know accessible to everyone to input Chinese into a computer. So, like I mentioned, there are different kinds of input methods. The main one that pretty much everyone's going to use, uh, native speakers and non-native speakers is the pinyin input. So you're going to be typing pinyin to get characters.
0: That's right. There's a number of other input methods, uh, but you're going to focus on pinyin. So there are two others that you're probably not going to use, and I would encourage you not to use. There's the Wubi method. And what that is, it's, it's you have to know the strokes of the character, and it's a way to input the characters, and they pop up and everything. You can select it. Uh, you've got to really understand how to handwrite characters well to use this effectively.
1: It's kind of crazy, but it is fast if you really know it. Yeah,
0: but it's not going to be for you, trust me. Unless you're very fluent in handwriting, you can translate over to this method. Then the other method is going to be the character input. where you Actually,
1: actually uh, being good at handwriting in Chinese is not enough to learn wubi. Wubi is crazy, so just forget about that. But if you're good at handwriting, you can use the handwriting directly, uh, especially on a phone, to write characters. And that's what a lot of old people in China do. Uh, they don't want to learn all these newfangled features, so they just write with their finger as the input.
0: And that handwriting input can come in handy. You see a character somewhere and you know you don't know it, so you could trace it into your dictionary or something. So it does have its place. But as far as an actual input method for like chatting, that's not what we're going to be talking about today.
1: Right. So in case you've ever done it, uh, opinion input, you need to enable it on your computer, whether it's Windows, Mac, uh, iOS, Android. They all have it now. It comes with the modern operating system. You just have to go into settings and enable it and then learn how to switch over to the different input. It's sometimes called an IME. But um, anyway, you you go into Chinese input, you have your pinyin Chinese input, and you start typing in pinyin, and then you're going to see characters in a little box below. And you're either... Selecting them, like with your finger or with the mouse, or you're hitting a number to choose the character that matches what you want, that matches the opinion.
0: This also seems like voodoo magic to people who you know don't, don't know Chinese. They're like, how do you know the right characters? And you say, well, watch this. You type it in, it pops up, and you select the right character, and they're like, "Wow!"
1: Yeah. So that's the first thing I want to talk about, like uh, education-wise. Uh, when is the right time? you start trying to input characters onto your phone or into your computer uh, if you've just started learning characters. It's probably not something you want to do when you know five characters, but like when do you start doing it? Uh, and Jared, this is something you went through yourself, right?
0: Oh, yeah, I did. I did encounter this. Yeah. So my first job in China, I worked in a Chinese market research firm and like it was about 100 people, only three people spoke like some decent English. And I was just learning Chinese. I didn't speak Chinese before coming to China, so this was like a really like fish out of water experience for me. And, and at the time, what we had to do, uh, or we communicated like interdepartmentally or with these other people, how to interact, we used QQ, which was like a, it was a predecessor of WeChat and was based on your computer, so it was like an instant chat program. QQ is still around. It is still around. It was owned by Tencent, which they did kind of evolve it into WeChat. But it, it, you're right, it is still around. But so I, I learned at this stage, like I didn't speak a lot and I knew words and stuff. And so I started typing pinging in and the characters would pop up and I'm like, well, I assume this is probably it. Let's give it a shot. And, and oftentimes it was correct and they reply. And if it wasn't, they might correct me.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about how that might work, how you might get it right and how you might get it wrong. One thing you don't want to do, which I see a lot of beginners doing is typing the pinyin for each character individually. So, you know, like, first I type N-I for N-I, then I type H-A-O for H-A-O, all right? You don't need to do that. You can type out a word. So N-I-H-A-O, ni hao, and it's going to easily recognize that. Because, you know, that's, that's one of the ways that Chinese disambiguates all these crazy similar sounds is, is they combine... Uh, syllables into a lot of two-syllable words. So you want to at least be typing out two syllables if you can. But you can actually type phrases as well. You can type out a whole sentence. And um, often, as long as they're pretty common words, it's going to get it right.
0: And this is a great thing for you if you're at like that very early stage. Because the words that you know or have learned are likely going to be more common words and like set phrases and things like that. So it's very likely that if you start typing in what you know to say, those correct characters are going to come up, considering you get your pinyin right.
1: Right. So if you're talking about output, like uh, you know, speaking or writing, uh, writing can be very intimidating because you have to remember all those strokes, putting pen to paper is very difficult. But when you're doing output on a computer and you're just recognizing the characters you already know, like maybe you totally forgot how to write it, but like, oh, yeah, that's it. Uh, it it's kind of a breath of fresh air. And then not only can you input stuff correctly, you know, a lot of the time. Um, but then you can also use that to chat and start communicating with people. And, and that's an awesome feeling.
0: And this is something, you know, we go back to, John, all the time. It's like about the handwriting. Some people feel like, I have to learn to handwrite things. But you just don't. You can learn the pinyin. you can type it in, those characters come up. And you know, one question uh, I, I, I get from some people uh, who are, you know, don't speak Chinese. They're like, well, how can you like read the character, but not know how to write it. And I say, well, it's the same way you could read a word in English and not know how to spell it. Right. (laughs) It's just, it's the same type of thing.
1: Yeah. And sometimes like you'll kind of know a word, you'll be sure of one character, but you're not sure of the other character. And, you know, it's part of a phrase and you just kind of trust the input method. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but um, it's never the end of the world. People, people kind of figure out what you're trying to say and another thing that you can do is if uh if you're practicing using input to you know have conversations using the vocabulary you have you might discover that sometimes you'll put in the pinyin and just nothing will come out like what you want just isn't there and this is one way you can discover that the pinyin that you thought was correct is actually incorrect and um, <laughs> amen <laughs> yeah and you know like these n's and ngs or you know little mistakes like that um it, it it can be a really uh enlightening way to practice uh because you learn these mistakes
0: i've had some times where uh i have typed in a uh, pinyin that doesn't even exist right <laughs> you're like wait i thought i thought it was this but you know oh it turned no nope, it was totally wrong that does that's not even a sound
1: so that's super useful but then also uh you can learn these uh pinyin shortcuts so i mentioned you know typing nihao and i h a o but actually, you can type the first letter of a syllable or the first sound of a syllable, like N H, and a lot of times it's going to match it.
0: So N H gets you nihao. This is something I totally love, right? It's just, in fact, this is why Chinese can be so much faster to communicate. It like sometimes my wife, she still messages me, you know, like, uh, you know, are you coming home? And I just type in M S, Ma Shan comes right up, and boom. So I, I like three. Taps on the, the keyboard, and then she knows I'm going to be home almost. Like I'm almost home or something. So, you know, it, it's there's some great things about that. Just imagine in English, like, you know, someone says, you know, oh, I'm sorry about this. And you might write, you know, NP, no problem. But if you type, like, NP, it's like it fills it in. It says no problem. That's a little bit like how the recognition is for Chinese characters.
1: Right. And like even quicker than NH is, like, XX. Uh, <laughs> xi Super quick. Well, one thing that I should also mention here um, in terms of shortcuts is that when you're typing in pinyin for input, you do not need to include tones. So if, if you're looking up a word in pleco or something, then you can include the tones, and it will help narrow it down. But when you're inputting pinyin on, on a computer or on a, on a mobile device, you do not include the tones. And so sometimes you'll have a lot of choices but um, a lot of times it's no big deal. Like one one time when it can be pretty difficult is when you're trying to type a person's name. And when you're trying to type a person's name, you basically have two choices. Either you type each character individually and you just kind of resign yourself to having to do that every time you type their name until the input method learns it, which, which it usually will. Or you type out their entire name in pinyin, you know, three syllables or whatever, type it all out, and the the input method's like, I have no idea what this is, can't help you much. And then you have to (laughs) choose each character one by one, which actually takes some time scrolling through characters. But then once you do that once, the IME learns the word because you you typed it as a single word. And then whenever you type their name in the future, boom, it's right there. And so if you spend the time to really make sure you you find those characters correctly uh, the first time, then later on it saves you a lot of time. There's another trick. Um, if you want to save time, it's, it's the opposite of taking all that time to get their name right the first time, which is if you know that the character in their name is like the first character in a certain word, a well-known word, then you can type out the word, boom, it appears, and then you just delete the second character. So then, so then you mm. get the first character. There's, there's all kinds of little tricks you can, you can learn like that. Um, and the more you play with it, the more you'll learn them. Uh, Chinese people use them a lot. There's also predictive text so, you know, we have this in English and it's in Chinese as well. So, in addition to having to choose characters after you choose the characters, it'll often, you know, give you some other text to follow what you
0: wrote. That's right. And, you know, there's sometimes that someone once challenged me like, just keep typing. <laughs> you. sometimes like you could keep typing on like a whole sentence, like you keep going on and on and see how well it gets it. And uh, as long as you're not using proper nouns, sometimes it can, uh, it can be all right on. I've had that happen before.
1: Yeah. And l- let me give you one other tip. As someone who uh, has like fat fingers that frequently typo, I was saying before that it's good to do phrases. You can sometimes even do whole sentences and it'll get the whole thing right. And that is true. But it's super annoying when you type out this whole sentence, and it's like ten characters or whatever, and you realize you typoed the first character, <laughs> and and like it's yeah. a typo that makes it be another pinion syllable, so it just gets everything wrong, and yeah, or maybe maybe that. just that character, but anyway, it's the first character, and it's like ah, oh, do I have to like input this, then go back and fix that one? Or do I have to backspace all the way through my pinyin and retype it? Um, so I find that because I typo so often, I don't want to do too many characters in a row if I'm typing out the full pinyin. Uh, do maybe, you know, three or four. Uh, that that way, uh, it's, it's not so risky and, you know, waste time with my typos.
0: Yeah, that, and honestly, that is something I do too because I, I, I tend, we all tend to have typos these days, right? We rely on autocorrect. And sometimes the pinyin, Input will detect that like typo and it'll pick it up, um, but you know, not every time. So yeah, try not to get too far down the road.
1: Yeah, the key is, is the typo another valid syllable or is the typo like an impossible syllable? And yeah, if it's an impossible syllable, it'll frequently correct it for you. But if it's another valid syllable, uh, then you might be in trouble. But I, I should also note that Chinese people themselves do do make typos. A lot of people are typing really fast, they're not checking that much. They make typos too. And as a learner, of course, you're gonna make mistakes, but you can always be like, oh, typo, you know, typing so fast here. <laughs> so uh don't worry yep. about it. Um, that's another reason I think that it's an environment that's friendly to beginners because there are a lot of typos like an online chat.
0: And I think one other point I'd like to make is that it's it it can be very easy also to switch between this Chinese input and uh, just your know, English or whatever your native language input is so you know if you're on a Windows system I, I will just tell you this quick shortcut that most Windows systems have a lot of times you'll see in the bottom right hand corner in the tray you can select you know between Chinese or English input but if you hold down the Windows button and hit spacebar boom it swaps between the two so this I mean learn those types of shortcuts now John you are a Mac guy so how, how do you do it on the Mac system?
1: Command space, but that might not be the default. I can go in; you can go in and change um, the the shortcut. But I do see people all the time like using the mouse to select the input, like from a dropdown, and that is such a time waster. Like, don't do that. Uh, take the time to learn the the hotkey, uh, and it'll make it just so much easier and so more enjoyable to actually use Chinese as an input method.
0: So, Pinyin input is the way to go. And you want to get familiar with it. We've given you a lot of ideas and tips and stuff on how to kind of get the most out of your Chinese pinging input. So get out there and learn it and start typing, start chatting, start using WeChat or whatever program you're using to communicate with other people in Chinese because it is a method it's not that hard to use once you really start learning pinging. And it can help you learn lots of characters.
1: Yeah, and WeChat has a built-in translation function, which is only so-so, but... Um, there's also that, that app called Hello Talk, And not only does it have built-in translation, but it also has like, you can add pinyin. So if you're worried about not understanding what people are writing, don't worry about it. You can copy and paste it into the Playco or whatever. So yeah, just get in there and try it. You can learn Chinese and you can do Chinese input.
0: All right, now it's time for a word from our sponsor. And today our sponsor is... Pleco, the Chinese Dictionary. That's right. And uh, we've got a great announcement that uh, some people may know about, but all of our graded readers are now available on Pleco. Right. So if if you've
1: ever looked at the add-ons in Pleco, you may have noticed that there are now some graded readers in there. And uh, until recently, the best-graded readers were not available within Pleco, but now they are. And so you can buy them as a as a bundle.
0: That's right. So what you do is you get the Pleco app in the top left-hand corner. You open up a side menu. You click on Add-ons. And there, there's going to be actually a section that's New Releases, and it says Manor Companion Readers. You can buy the entire bundle, the, all 17 books in, in the series in a bundle. Or you can buy just Breakthrough Level, Level 1 or Level 2 or you can buy them individually and the great thing about playco as you guys know if you've been using playco is that it has like this clipboard reader uh function there where you can actually now just click on any of the characters and the definition comes up so it can be a great tool i I usually don't recommend over reliance on that but hey it's really awesome it's there in playco and you can go out and you can get it today right now yeah, it might be
1: a good way to uh, transition into being able to read a breakthrough level reader. Like, if you still need some help, and then once you can do that with Impleco, if you can get like a paper book in your hands and read it, bam, you're, you're reading for real there without any technological cyborg assistance.
0: All right, so go out there and get it today. All right, now it's time for rants and raves. John, what do you got for us today? Do you have a rant or do you have a rave? I have a rave.
1: Uh, this is a, a website which uh, I frequently recommend to, to kind of upper intermediate learners, um, possibly intermediate, but um, it's called Zhihu. It's a Chinese website, and it's basically a Chinese version of like uh, Quora or uh, Yahoo Answers. And what I love about it is that if you, if you Google stuff, and you include the name Zhihu. Uh, you can find all kinds of results. And some of the questions and the answers are actually quite simple. Uh, it varies a lot. It covers all kinds of different topics. Some of them are super hard. And you're not going to want to go in there if you're not like super advanced. But then some of them are easy. Uh, so I recommend you check it out if you're looking for different things to read which aren't too long. Very cool. So we'll include a link to that as well as uh, the Chinese name so you can uh, see what to search.
0: Okay, so Jared, how about you? Rant or rave? Okay, so John, today I also have a rave. And this rave is about Hack Chinese. All right, so it's an app. They also have a website. And what Hack Chinese is, it's one of those flashcard apps. But um, it's a pretty good flashcard app. And the good news about it is that the Mandarin Companion word lists are now on their website. So, they have all of our books. They have our entire word list available on that website. So, you can go and you can, like, kind of review all the characters in any of the books that you're reading. So, it's hackchinese.com. And I've been in touch with them for a little while. So, a little shout out to Daniel Nalesnik, uh for, you know, getting that on there. And so, yeah, it's, it's a great thing. So, if you are looking for some flashcards for the Manor Companion books, check out Hack Chinese. All right, great. Okay, so next
1: up, we do have an interview, right? Who do we have today, Jared?
0: All right, we got Susie Williams. Now, this interview is going to be, I'm going to give a preface to this interview. So Susie is going to talk about her experience learning Chinese as a missionary in Taiwan. She's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, And so preface into this, I am also a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I understand a little bit what this is like, although I did not learn Mandarin serving a mission or anything. Uh, But I go through this interview from the perspective of just like, hey, I don't know what it's like. So, But this is something that's going to be really interesting for a lot of people to understand what it was like for her. So this is cool. Let's kick to this one.
1: All right, let's do it.
2: I am Susie Williams. I'm currently located in Utah.
0: Susie and I both live in Utah. What you may not know is there are over 55 Chinese dual immersion schools in the state. Utah is big on language education.
2: I run a Chinese immersion preschool. I am a mom to almost four, (laughs) three and a half, and I'm passionate about learning Chinese. I'm teaching it to my kids, and because of that, teaching it to as many kids as I can connect with.
0: Susie's story underscores the importance of having a reason to learn and focusing on that which is most relevant to you. However, I think the real story behind Susie is her choice to embrace the challenge and then share herself with others, then and now. Stay with us. Why did you start learning Chinese?
2: So for me, learning Chinese came out of the blue, unexpectedly. (laughs) because I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And young people, as young as 18, I was 21 at the time, can apply to serve as a missionary for our church. And when you apply, you fill out information about yourself, but you don't choose where you go. We believe we have 12 apostles, and they receive revelation to know where God wants you to go. So I got a letter in the mail and read it, and to my shock and awe, was called to serve in Taipei, Taiwan, speaking Mandarin Chinese. And all of it was just total surprise. I had no experience with Chinese. Mm -hmm. I had taken French in high school. I had taken American Sign Language in college. I had taught at a school for the deaf. I thought maybe that would be my path. And then... I got called to serve for 18 months in Taiwan speaking Mandarin. Did you even know where
0: Taiwan was?
2: Honestly, no. Honestly, <laughs> I, I I had to look it up on a map. I didn't know anything about it. So immediately I started looking at YouTube videos, trying to learn something about the language. Yeah. So I found Peggy teaches Chinese and like learned a couple phrases and learned about the five tones, but didn't really know anything before I left. And when you leave, you don't immediately go straight to the country that you're called Mm -hmm. to. You go to a missionary training center so that you can learn the language a little bit before you actually enter the country. What was that like? It was exciting. To be honest, I was thrilled. I was excited. I was intimidated by the idea of Mandarin. And so I got to the MTC, the Missionary Training Center, And they immediately just start diving into language. And granted, it's unique because all of our language experience and teaching really surrounds learning about church, gospel, Christian vocabulary. I recently just looked back through some of my missionary journals, and on day two, we learned how to pray in Chinese. On day three... We learned how to like share our testimony in Chinese, and we were immediately like <laughs> wow. practicing this right, like going to other yeah. missionaries, which was not scary because the other missionaries who we would find to like practice on would be learning, you know, Spanish or French, and so they don't know. If we <laughs> so they don't know what you're right saying now. anyway, right? <laughs> Honestly, I am surprised how quickly I was able to say things that I wanted to say, but. Again, it was very limited in its variety, right? Because Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to say, I believe I am a child of God, right? And so I learned that phrase verbatim. And from learning a phrase verbatim, I learned, you know, what. Is I And so the next time I want to start with I, I'm going to use wua because that's, anyway, I feel like I learned it more from looking at like sentences and bigger things and breaking them down rather than starting with singular words and building up because I had a strong purpose in terms of things I wanted to do with language. Right away, I want to be able to pray.
0: How do you feel like your Chinese progressed over that period?
2: So I was in the missionary training center for almost 12 weeks before we flew to Taiwan which felt like forever. <laughs> and I know I was feeling pretty confident with my most necessary vocabulary, the church-related vocabulary. Arriving in Taiwan and actually using <laughs> the language and actually hearing the language was a whole nother ballgame. <laughs> I
0: know, this, it's like sometimes like you have like phrase books. It's like, where's the bathroom? But you may have no idea what they said back, right?
2: Exactly. is something that... American Sign Language helped me with a lot because I got there and I was like, I don't know what you're saying back to me, but I can read your body language and I think it's, you know, going one way or the other. So tell
0: me about that. So now, I mean, you were essentially crash course of Chinese for intensive three months and now, boom, you're in Taiwan and you're in the native environment trying to teach people in Chinese. So, I mean, what was that like?
2: It was intimidating at first, but... From the get-go, I was in love with the country. I was in love with the people. Literally stepping off the plane, I was like, "This is awesome. I'm so excited." But I do remember like the shock of first talking to people and having them <laughs> respond because in Taiwan, especially, they add expressive little additions to like the end of every phrase. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. Doi la." Mm-hmm. They do the ooh and the ah and the o oh at the end of, like, yeah. every sure. other... Yeah, at the end yeah. of all these things. And so I just remember talking to a lady in the street, and she sounded like she was singing a song because she just kept adding these things. And I was like, I have no idea what's going on and what she's saying, but she sounds happy, and there's all this extra stuff. I don't know what's going on. But at the same time, people were really encouraging to a white Guaren who didn't speak well at all, but they'd be, oh, 你的讲, everybody, everybody, <laughs> oh, 你的中文真好. and I'm like, oh, what is it? You know, like yeah. I didn't, I at the time was thinking, like, hey, I can say what I want to say. I have no idea what you're saying, but you're really encouraging me. And I think maybe that's part of why I was like, okay, I'm loving this. I'm excited to like keep learning. Eventually, I'm going to be able to understand what they're saying and just run with it. So
0: I think something also for anyone who's listening to this, that they can't see you. I'm describing you, Susie, you are blonde hair, blue eyed, right? <laughs> That's another yeah. thing, too, is that I've had friends in China that look similar, right? That, and they really stick out. People like handing them babies all the time, I want to take pictures with them. I mean, what about that aspect? I and mean, did you encounter that type of thing when you're in Taiwan?
2: Ironically, not really. Because I think people recognize missionaries in Taiwan. We have a black name tag. We're riding bikes. The girls are wearing like skirts and shirts on a bike, which is pretty unique. And I think people <laughs> knew, knew why we were there. And so they were a little less either that or maybe they saw white Gorin more frequently. I don't know. But I didn't get a lot of crazy reactions other than every once in a while, I'd like start approaching someone and they'd like walk away because they were scared I was going to start speaking to them in English. And they were worried that they wouldn't be able to respond to me in English. When I started speaking Chinese, they'd be like, oh, phew, you speak Chinese. I'm so glad. <laughs> like, but I went to Shanghai for one week. And in the very limited time that I spent like out in public, it happened a bunch, which was really shocking because I spent 18 months in Taiwan with it. Barely ever happened.
0: Wow. What were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in trying to use Chinese?
2: The challenges was being able to understand people better because I, from the get-go felt more confident in my expressive ability than my receptive ability with the language. So I think that was really like my goal throughout my time there was to keep studying and keep studying and keep working so that I could become a better and better listener just because everybody has unique life stories. And when people started telling me about medical issues that they were having or family troubles, and it would start expanding past my very confident little bubble of vocabulary, that's when I realized there was still so much I didn't know. And breakthrough wise, I don't necessarily feel like there was like this one bam, my Chinese is now arrived <laughs> and I am fluent. It was really just because every day I was outside talking to people and every day I woke up early and was studying the language because I wanted to get better. And luckily, when I first arrived in Taiwan, I had another missionary who was in a leadership role over me give me some advice on how to set myself some learning goals So the mission had language goals for you, kind of. They called it phases, phase one, phase two, and phase three. Mm. And phase one is like learning to teach church lessons. Phase two is just learning like over 2,000 words, phrases, and outside vocabulary. And phase three was learning to read characters. And my mission president, when we first arrived, said, we'd love for you to complete these three phases within a year. And I'm pretty sure he said it had been done like once ever. (laughs) And because he said that basically no one had ever done that, I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm for sure going to be the one. And I'm a girl (laughs) missionary, so I'm extra like I'm going to be the first girl missionary who does this. Anyway, so luckily one of my first mission leaders helped me sit down and learn how to break down goals and Mm. say like, hey, if you want to finish phase one, within the first six weeks or three months, then you take this big chunk and you break it down into these many weeks and you break each week down into doing this each day. Anyway, that was a game changer for me to start my mission with that mindset that I'm going to finish my mission being about as good as I can get, having used my time as well as I can. And by the time I left, I feel like I was about as good as I could have gotten within my realm, right? Because obviously, I couldn't be an expert in school vocabulary and medical vocabulary, because I just didn't get a chance to interact in those worlds. But I did the best I could with the context that I frequently was a part of. So I feel like that was, if you want to call it a breakthrough, the biggest thing was learning how to set lofty goals and just like work my butt off to achieve them. What
0: you're describing to me, it sounds a little bit more like something that's used in language education, the concept of can-do statements. I don't know if you've come uh-huh. across that before.
2: Of course I have. I'm an education major. Well, yeah. <laughs> there
0: we go, right? So it almost sounds like, hey, I can do these things, right? And am breaking them down into smaller can-dos, right? Yes. And I think that's fantastic because a lot of people, they may be preparing for a like test. Like, I passed this test. Now I'm going to be fluent when I do that. But we know right. that's not exactly how it works, right? It's more about having precise goals. What do you want to be able to do with your language? And you going after it.
2: Exactly. And I am grateful to that missionary who helped me set those goals. And really, just the whole time in Taiwan, I was just in love with the language. I was in love with what I was doing. And I was passionate every day and just like excited to be there every day. But I was also every day trying to find those like extra minutes here and there to study the language because I knew I wanted to be good at it. I wanted to be able to connect deeper and the language was the way to do it.
0: So you were there at 18 months, Taiwan, serving a mission. And how do you feel like your Chinese really progressed in that period? I mean, because... Realistically, a lot of people, they study for a year and a half, but it's entirely different circumstances, but they're not going to be like, oh, now I have a good proficiency in Chinese. But I imagine that you did.
2: I felt like I did. I I was confident in conversation, in any day-to-day kind of tasks that I needed to do. And I came home to my family telling me I sounded like an Asian, like I somehow spoke English <laughs> with some sort of like a Chinese accent or something. I have no idea. I was like, that's weird. I, I'm i not speaking <laughs> like an Asian, but they told me that. And I had gotten some really good feedback from people around me. As I told you, even from the get-go, people were probably lying and telling me that my Chinese was good.
0: Oh, oh they but, were, they were.
2: <laughs> but, But yeah. I was able at the end of my mission to go to this giant youth conference in southern Taiwan. And I think there was a couple thousand youth. We were in some sort of a, I don't want to call it a stadium, but it was bigger than an auditorium. I don't know. And we had a big skit slash performance that we were doing. And I had Mm -hmm. memorized the lines that I had practiced for it. I was actually the only white person in our little cast of about six or 12 missionaries who were doing this performance and I gave my line my little monologue or whatever and I said a phrase in Taiwanese instead of in Mandarin (laughs) as like a way to be silly and joke with the line and the kids just went nuts (laughs) I didn't I didn't know whether to like keep going with my thing or like keep waiting because they just like kept clapping and screaming and they just thought it was incredible <laughs> that a white person would be able to do that. And afterwards there was a church leader there who told my mission president, like, in fifty years we've heard a lot of missionaries, but I thought she was Taiwanese. Like I didn't think she was from <laughs> America and I was like, these are some good compliments. People not really know how to boost your ego. We'll take in it. Taiwan. Well Yeah, taken, I'll right? take it. I, you know, wrote it down, save it in my Pocket for the days when I'm feeling a little less adequate as a mom or a teacher. And so, but I had pretty good Chinese. So.
0: <laughs> well, from what I understand, though, your Chinese learning journey did not end there. And I think for anyone, right, it's a continual process, right? So, what right. were you doing afterwards?
2: That's a struggle for so many people who learn Chinese while they're. Studying abroad, and then they come back to their "quote unquote" normal life and culture, and they forget to keep trying to learn and study. And I'm not saying I didn't succumb to that at all because it is hard to keep learning at the same rate you were learning while you're living in another country. But when I came home, I did what I could with the time I had left in school to like take a couple Chinese classes and. I finished my degree in early childhood and elementary education and found out, like right when I was about to graduate, that Utah now has Chinese immersion elementary schools. And thought, oh, well, there might be an opportunity for an elementary teacher who just happens to speak Chinese. So after I graduated, I started teaching fourth grade Chinese immersion. And it was a good opportunity Mm -hmm. for me to keep practicing and learning my Chinese. Mm. It has pros and cons. The cons being that the kids are not native speakers, so you're not getting quality feedback in terms of what you're hearing, but a really cool opportunity to learn a whole new context and realm of vocabulary. As I mentioned, I was confident in my church-related vocabulary. Well... Now you're teaching fourth grade science concepts <laughs> about metamorphic rocks, <laughs> and about cloud types and formations, and you're not allowed to speak any English. They're not allowed mm. to hear the Chinese teacher ever speak English. And this whole time, me learning all this vocabulary and whatnot was really me using Pleco, and like referring to the Chinese native Chinese teachers who were in other grades at my school, to make sure I was using correct terms for the different kinds of fossils and things that Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if I was using the right terms for. And then after four years, I was just about to have my second child and decided they don't pay me enough to keep (laughs) doing this. And I had one year off, but during that year off, I just kept thinking like, boy, it would be so cool to open my own preschool. And then I thought, Boy, it would be really cool to take advantage of the, it's called a window of opportunity between, you know, zero to six, mm-hmm. when kids can learn language quickly and without accent. And I'm thinking, well, if I open my own preschool, I can do whatever I want. I can make it a Chinese preschool if I want. And anyway, things really worked out and... We were able to buy a home specifically that had a space that I would be able to use for a preschool. And surprisingly, it wasn't until after I started my school that my husband was like, why aren't you speaking to our kids all the time in Chinese? Mm -hmm. Like, you should only be speaking to them in Chinese. And I was like, huh, valid point. (laughs) (laughs) I should. And that was another journey because it's hard to break habits Mm -hmm. that you've, you know, spent your whole lifetime using of speaking English to everyone around you anyway. And so I started trying to speak to my kids all day in Chinese and that is a whole nother way to improve your Chinese because especially when you're like talking to babies and you're like, it's time to change your diaper. Like I didn't ever say that on my mission. (laughs) Okay. And I didn't say that in fourth grade. So I need to know like the proper way to talk to a baby and say, it's time to change your diaper. So that's my world now is basically reading tons of kids' books and speaking Chinese, like in my day to day mom life, and really expanding my Chinese vocabulary to include new things related to kids and momming, if yeah. that's oh, a Oh, totally.
0: You, you mom so hard. Excellent. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, I, it's, that's a really good thing to bring up. I think it's one of the things that the process of like continuing to learn a language and obviously in this respect, Chinese is that you're continually specializing, right? You know, you got very competent in one area, but that doesn't mean you're going to be competent in another area. So that's why always people, you know, ask me, use that word fluent. I call it the F word, you know, it's like, what does that really mean? You know, proficient is, I think, a little more applicable.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point because I actually heard you say that in another podcast and I was like, (laughs) that, that makes a lot of sense that like fluent, if you had asked me on my mission, I would have said, oh yeah, I think I'm pretty fluent, but then you put me in a fourth grade classroom and I would have been like, no, 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 not uh, quite there. I'm actually not like ready for this. I I need to do some preparation and pick yourself up and put yourself in a different context. And all of a sudden you'll realize how much you don't know. know,
0: When your language skills are developing, there's nothing that can destroy your confidence so quick as speaking to a a native kid in Chinese. Oh,
2: yes. I have no idea what you just said to me. (laughs) That's extremely true. In my... Like very beginning of my mission, they put me in the beginning English class because we would teach English class once a week. And they put me with the little kids. And I was like, I'm new. I don't speak Chinese well enough to understand what they are saying. This is hard. Yeah, I actually think listening to the kids speak Chinese was harder than anything else because they don't oh. slow down and enunciate for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, they don't enunciate. And they're using like words that are you know more specific to being a kid that you as an adult are not Using when you're interacting with other adults, right? So, exactly. Well, Susie, if you could go back and give yourself some advice back when you were in that missionary training center, staring down the barrel of trying to learn this language, what advice would you give yourself?
2: I would tell myself that the goal setting lesson I was given at the beginning of the mission is a game changer. Like, stick to those lofty goals, keep pressing forward. Don't give up on your goals and your dreams. If you want to be like a Chinese master, just set yourself some goals and break it down and work hard on them every day. Because that really set me on the path of making the most of my time learning Chinese. Now,
0: Susie, if people want to find out more about you or about your preschool, where can we do that?
2: I have a website. It's xiaopandapreschool.com. com. xiao x i a o panda I also spend a lot of time on Instagram and my handle is the same, xiaopanda preschool. I'm on YouTube as xiaopanda preschool, especially if you have an interest in kid related Chinese and stories. That's
0: an excellent resource. We'll put a link in the show notes. Well, Susie, thanks so much for being on this podcast. It was wonderful, and I appreciate you sharing your story with us. It was really insightful.
2: Thank you, Jared. It's been a blast.
0: You have been listening to the You Can Learn Chinese podcast. Help us spread the word by sharing this with your friends, classmates, teachers, cousins, author, publisher, influencer, dancer, director, performer, beachcomber, pyrotechnician, and that one gal named Helen. You can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please write us a review so we know how we're doing. You can find us on Facebook and at MannerCompanion.com. Apologies to John Cena, we just ran out of time. The You Can Learn Chinese podcast is produced by myself, Jared Turner, and our editor is Kaiser Guo at Sup China. And interview editor is James Harper with Filter Productions. And I'd like to thank our guest, Susie Williams. And of course, thanks to my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, John Passon. See you next time.